David A. Price presents... Hello, folks. Welcome to Marvel Noise, episode 428. I'm your host, Steve Raker. Brought by this material right back to the early to mid-80s. Read my new comics under a tree or on a swing or maybe up in a tree. With me and making me feel old are War Windex, Kevin, and Andrew, the L.A. Rabbit underscore one. Oh, what else are we supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still using our old bullpen bulletins, Marvel Noise message board handles. <laughs> yeah, I was I was distressed when he didn't keep the underscore one for Blue Sky. I was like, "What are you doing? You're underscore one." <laughs> I had to let that go. I'm sure there was someone waiting to steal that handle. <laughs> so. <laughs> Marvel Noise is the semi-monthly podcast that's proudly sponsored by nobody. Not even Madam Web, which needs all the help it can get. But thanks, as always, to Derek Howard, our cyber age Martin Goodman, giving us the means to make the noise we make as part of his deliberate noise network. When you You're can... not going to call honorary deem him Hogarth for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can look for our sister show, Indie Comic Book Noise, where... We, plus Phil, and often minus me, talk indie books. Steve's on there a lot, folks. We can't afford to lose uh, our number one selling point, Steve. You're on there <laughs> yes, all the we time. can't afford them. So, guys, over 10 episodes from Marvel Noise 273 to 299 between June of 2016 and July of 2017 we covered the first 100 issues of the Luke Cage Hero for Hire Power Man, then Power Man Iron Fist title. Wow. And here we are, six and a half or so years later to finish the series up. (laughs) Yeah, and and there's way more collections than Omnibus now. Hashtag unfinished business. (laughs) Wait, I thought that was Heroes Reborn. All right, but we're not we're not going to finish it all in one shot, though. That's right, true believers. It's part one of two, covering Power Man and Iron Fist issues one hundred one to one ten, which were published between October nineteen eighty three and July nineteen eighty four. And these ten issues are basically placeholders between ongoing writers' runs, so. You know, they're a bit fractured with different creative teams. Mostly they're done in ones. There's no ongoing subplots. It's like they each could be like inventory stories, right? Oh, Steve, like you're, you're, you're lowering the uh, bar here. There's some gems in here. Oh, I didn't say they're not good. I just said the way that they're sort of structured is they're all they all kind of could fit in and, and, and be, you know, they don't have any ties uh, before and after because Kurt Busick's run built up to the climactic issue 100 where they went to Kun Loon none of which is mentioned in any of these issues and Jim Owsley who would a decade later go by Christopher Priest would tear this whole title down beginning with 111 right after these issues so this run of issues kind of serve as a palate cleanser from all the drama and continuity from the build up to 100 and then kind of uh, sets the status quo as business as usual for then Owsley to take over and do his thing until the series wraps up with 125. It's like a TV series here. (laughs) If they were going to uh, flush some continuity, uh, Harmony would have been my choice. (laughs) Harmony's back. They could have... left and uh, forgotten about but anyways i'm sure she's someone's favorite character issue 101 is written by stephen grant with art by jeff isherwood and andy mushinsky with a mike zek cover 
Yeah, did you think there was a purple man for this story? <laughs> no, it had it couldn't be you. Looked a lot like the eel when it started. <laughs> it's usually the the Sphinx. I think of that old Marvel two in one cover with the thing with the shadow, you know, and he's No, not you. Not now. But coming off of that milestone issue one hundred and Busick's whole run on the book, it's actually great timing for issue one oh one to fall during the classic nineteen eighty three assistant editors month stunt. So it's like a real, and now for something completely different, with Linda Grant, the assistant editor of Denny O'Neill, stepping in. And the gag is that Power Man and Iron Fist are barely in the issue. In fact, they get killed off in the third panel on the first page. And instead, we get an issue focusing on Nightwing Restorations, the Daughters of the Dragon. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Three panels in, they're done. (laughs) <laughs> I always like that name, although it does sound like a construction company. <laughs> so it's up to like a basement uh, after yeah. after the fire. <laughs> after the fire and the flood. Oh, we need a mitigation expert. Oh, Nightwing Restorations totally restored my den and rumpus room. So it's up to Misty Knight and Colleen Wing to solve the murder of Power Man and Iron Fist. And... It always evolves around this costume dude with a germ warfare gun and infectious powers. But uh, yeah, not an infectious character, Steve. No. <laughs> I don't think anyone's pining for this dude to come back. And as I'm reading along, I don't know if I've read this issue since back in the day, but I quickly was putting two and two together and realizing, oh, that infectious power probably isn't transmitted through artificial skin and a bionic arm and certainly that ends up being how Misty gets the upper hand on him so to speak but everyone's infected by the end right but fortunately there's an antidote so yay (laughs) it was weird I thought there's a a bunch of unnecessary subplots but I was curious that we wouldn't get the like, they left it vague, the foreign power, but I was like, oh, you could have a fun Simkari or some weird hookup with one of the fake Marvel things. You know what I mean? Sure. Instead of the uh, some kind of Cold War connection, it would have been funny if they work that into some sort of thing. That seems like a thread that could be fun for some writer to now pull on. You know what's always fun? When they have those hospital scenes, how are we supposed to treat... Luke Cage, yep. I used my needle on his chest, and it broke. How does Superman shave? Exactly. <laughs> For sure. Issue 102 is written by returning writer Kurt Busick, with art by Richard Howell. And is a Howell-Terry Austin cover. And the noir is strong with the setup to this one. A beautiful woman saunters into the offices of Heroes for Hire and give Power Man and Iron Fist a package to protect. And telling uh, them that her unscrupulous brother is desperately trying to take it from her, even if it means killing her, so she needs them to guard it. Well, they'll take money for any job, right? I mean, they get some strange jobs, but it's like, yeah, why not? Because they're, sometimes they're complaining about money. Oh, how are we going to keep this office open? Well. What I like is it's a great, it's that meta thing. So they're goofing on Noir and the Maltese Falcon and all that. But to protect yourself, you have DW, who owns the theater below, call them out on it. So you can be like, oh, well, we know we're just kind of goofing on that. I always like when they say, well, if we acknowledge it's kind of ripping it off, then we're protected from People claiming, I mean, obviously jamming it into one comic book is also a bit of a compression, especially when you need the action sequences. But we're going to see they particularly like teaming Power Man and Iron Fist with other duos, which I think was, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was intent, but we're going to see some cameos, but it's usually like another team up. And I'm like, I wonder if they wanted to keep like couples so they're balanced or whatever. I do think that their whole status quo of having the different jobs leads to um, not just a villain of the month 
set up, but like a job of the month, right? Set up for these dumb yes. ones. It really it, it it suits it. Although, uh, like you said, they can be wrapped up rather quickly. But sometimes that's for the best, I think. <laughs> well, it's also fun to get just a fire hose worth of new, fun, bad guys and concepts and ideas that I feel, rightly, creators now are kind of smart to parse that out. You know, you don't want to go creating 20 new bad guys necessarily, but this is still in the heyday of, hey, you need a new hero or villain, you just cook up some crazy set of powers and a crazy name or some magical giga or whatever it's fun to have that it feels like you are really in all this craziness at any moment not that i don't enjoy we're going to see plenty of people coming back from the past but it's also nice to get just ran, random one-off villains or yeah. heroes or you don't you don't have to create a villain that's going to like be a lasting legacy or anything you can just make it some guy who this is this is the um this is his rampage that's at yeah. the end of his total meltdown or whatever. And he's either going to like burn out or get arrested or die or just be done uh, after. And that and that's fine. Yeah, you could just have it be some random cult. I, I still trying to figure out how they got <laughs> trapped in that dungeon though. So soon after the woman leaves after giving them the package, this dude shows up wanting the package and he starts casting spells. I just love this scene because he turns all the office furniture into like attacking demons. And Cage is like, oh man, like I just bought this waste paper basket from Sears <laughs> and now it's trying to kill me. Well, you can, you know, think again, Buster. And he's like, wait a minute, trash cans don't think. What am I thinking? <laughs> it's <just laughs> fun Luke Cage. <laughs> They chase the sorcerer off and hide the package in DW's popcorn machine downstairs at the Gem Theater and decide to investigate their mysterious employer, Mrs. Wonderly, was it? And her hotel room's been ransacked. Then suddenly, coming through the wall is an attack. No, wait, it's the Vision. And he's gravely injured, and he's now lying unconscious. So Iron Fist wonders, could the healing power of the Iron Fist Chi heal a synthesoid? Yeah, how often was that done? Oh, the not, heal, Steve? It was, it was done a lot, the, the healing thing. He, he yeah, had, but, but with, does he heal other robots? No, 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 not, ro not robots necessarily. Okay. But, but, the, but the fact <laughs> that, that the um, Iron Fist had a healing as well as a destructive you know properties was was well established already at least but it yeah, does it work. only works uh kevin on um robots that can cry <laughs> oh that's, that's the thing and and well i i always remember spider-man going oh what's the big deal it's a robot and i remember going oh my god he's calling him a robot the vision wakes up and explains that a sorcerer zor hounded wanda for this idol that she's got one of two and he must have the other. So Wanda disguised herself. She gave the idol to Power Man and Iron Fist and then went in search of its twin, as did the Vision. And Zor shows up like the Great Oz was absorbed by the Supreme Intelligence or something. A little bit of Pip the Troll waved in there. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> and he's got both idols now. And and probably buttery hands, I'd imagine, right? <laughs> maybe maybe he just needs to kidnap the idol a million, Steve. We can have a thing crossover. The Power Man Iron Fist get captured by Zor, transported to his castle headquarters, and thrown in the dungeon. The Vision, who had been nowhere to be found, actually was hiding, phased inside of Luke Cage, moving in perfect synchrony with him to like hide inside him and stow away. Yeah, that doesn't sound like that was super comfortable. No. I mean, you remember. Well, also, it works though, because remember, Luke Cage is a big guy, and Vision, if he's regular size, yeah. that gives you a little wiggle room. True. Like if he doesn't have True. his arm quite remember, as fast. Do you remember, like, as kids, like having a, someone stand like their heels on the front of your feet facing away from you, and like your arms are under their arms, and you like. Try to walk with them and make them walk like you're like 
controlling them. No? Is that just a me thing? <laughs> I do remember the trick where you could be behind them and they'd have their hands behind and you had to be their hand like those oh, sure. where it's like yeah, 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 Okay, yeah. you have to make a cake without look at you're the hands and he has to tell you, okay, now I pick up the eggs and all that stuff. That For was sure. always a fun gig. So the vision goes off to fetch Wanda while Power Man and Iron Fist interrupt this big ceremony with all these like kind of Ditko-y uh, trimmings, I would I would say. It was there was something about that scene that felt like, ooh, this is like a Ditko-y ceremony going on here. Vision and Scarlet Witch return to save the day, and there's this big multi page brawl that's a lot of fun. Zora that dude keeps on trying to escape. Yeah, Zora escapes with the twin idols, but does the old run into Luke like he's a wall? Doosh. And the issue ends with Power Man and Iron Fist joining the Vision and the Witch out to dinner like in tuxes. You know, it's not a personality that Luke Cage doesn't like formal clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish they wouldn't be like, hey, what do we know about Luke Cage? Uh, 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 the skin, and he doesn't like formal clothes. It's like, that's the entire brief on the guy. And then Iron Fist is kind of worried that he's not powerful enough. And, you know, these are rich characters. They got a bit more you can slide out of them than that. But still, it's uh, we're going to see more of his disdain for formal wear. How about the vision with his top hat, cape, and bow tie? He's like Jack the Ripper over there. And speaking of uh, someone being rich, is that like a diamond like belt, like like one of those wrestlers would would like? It looks like one of those like intercontinental belts, but it's all made of like shining crystal or diamond or something. Nice stuff. Issues one hundred three and one hundred four are a two-parter, written by Archie Goodwin, with art by Greg LaRoque and Andy Mushinsky. And the first part has a really nice Dave Simmons cover. And the second part has a John Byrne cover. An explosive John Byrne cover. This yeah, one, I thought these were pretty fun. And a new, uh, at least new to me, bad guy. So I was excited. Yeah, it's a high-stakes two-parter full of international consequences and introduces this Doombringer guy. He's like an armored commando type. I really liked his design and his weaponry and stuff. Yeah, the kind of thin bad guy has fallen out of fashion. And certainly, I would expect Kevin, being his love of the 90s, wouldn't really care for a guy that doesn't have as few muscles. But it does sort of have a jacket, mm-hmm. Kevin. Like a little half jacket, if that helps. I mean, it does have a belt with a few pouches and pockets on it. So, the... The underpinning of this story is that the United Nations split up a Middle Eastern country to end a civil war. So now you've got hostilities between Kotain, who's led by the religious leader, the the Mahdi, that's backed by Russia, and Dakaran, run by what's left of the royal family, led by the prince, that's backed by the USA. And both leaders are at the United Nations to talk peace. But both sides get some of their entourages killed. And the United Nations is trying to prevent World War III, and they hire Power Man and Iron Fist to kind of help as unarmed security. So there's this cocktail mingling hour where both Power Man and Iron Fist have to, like, prove their effectiveness. (laughs) For a second there, I thought Luke grabbed that soldier guy by the balls <laughs> and he really I, has the, I do like that the chip on his shoulder thing he does not let go now that's like a real personality trait that he just is in everybody's face about it yep yep and Iron Fist's move is sweet how he unarms the uh, the Arabs so, uh, I don't think it's necessarily worth belaboring why but they also 
have roped Nightwing restorations into going to the country on a side mission. That'll tie in later. But my favorite was just the thought of like into a war zone. We're sending a lady with a sword and one with a bionic arm. Perfect weapons against guys with machine guns and grenades and all that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they always make it so that they're never... You know, they're fighting other guys with swords or whatever, but like they're not, you send the Punisher, Iron Man, like somebody with weapons, not the sword and the lady with the bionic arm. Yeah, well, it was supposed to be a grab, a snatch and grab um, for this company, Uniworld, to retrieve this case from their bombed up headquarters in like the disputed territory between these two rival factions. So it's not really, it's kind of like a post-war zone because they're trying to prevent further yes but uh, you know things, the, but the, yeah. it's loaded with guys with machine like it's a bad scene and yep. oh, they yeah. send the lady with the sword and a bionic arm as opposed to you know people with guns and the military well types it, it, it would have gone fine too except doombringer attacks that soiree that power man and iron fist were at where they were having to prove their effectiveness and stuff and they try to kill the prince, or he tries to kill the prince, Doombringer does, in the name of the Mahdi, who didn't hire him, but he's being blamed. And Doombringer gets foiled and escapes. And he's basically trying to start World War III by starting these two at each other. And the Uniworld company is actually responsible for Doombringer, and Doombringer is trying to screw them by starting World War Three, and they kind of decide mid-mission for Colleen and Misty that they're going to sacrifice Colleen and Misty because, you know what, uh, if World War Three started, they think that they're going to end up kind of on top. Uh, they'll, they'll come out on top, so they're going to um, surprise to Doombringer. They, they don't mind if World War Three starts at this point, but that makes their mission go bad because then um, their contact doesn't give them the... Um, extraction information and they're they're left hanging and right. they get and, captured. And, and conveniently big fight with guys with swords they get knocked out <laughs> yep. More of the, the fun uh conventions that only happen in uh genre fiction where you know normally you'd probably get a sword through you or something but they get bonked on the head which is you know fair you need it to happen but yeah the the doom slayer is great design yeah, you're giving a lot more detail, I think. Well, I would have. you forced my hand. <laughs> I wanted to try to explain uh, Colleen and Misty's situation, why they were uh, there. And so, you know, Power Man and Iron Fist raid this uni world headquarters. They capture one of the intelligence officers and they head to the Middle East to rescue Misty and Colleen. But the doomsday guy stowaways. So he's there, too. And there's this whole thing of Uniworld having supplied missiles to the Prince to bomb the Mahdi. And they, the Prince and the Mahdi, end up actually like in a physical struggle in the control room of the missile launch site while Doomsday is wiping out the guards on both sides and fights Power Man and an Iron Fist too. And he's trying to set the missiles off and Power Man and an Iron Fist foil his... Attempts, which is uh, the mission at that point. But my favorite scene is the ending where we flash back to New York City where the other head of Uniworld tries to make a hasty departure. But Bob Diamond shows up on the street and punches the guy out. Good old Bob Diamond. Bob Diamond, the thinnest Chuck Norris. (laughs) Or is he Warlord from uh, uh, DC? (laughs) <laughs> they couldn't have gotten any closer, I think, if he was wearing a, you know, Karate Champ 1977 jacket or something. Well, he was Danny's sparring partner and Colleen's boyfriend, and he's also a former son of the Tiger. One of the three guys who had the amulets that, when combined, helped create the White Tiger. Good old Bomb Diamond. All right, issue 105 brings back... Kurt Busiek and Richard Howell with Mushinsky Inks with a Ed Hannigan, Bob Wycheck cover. Look who's back, Andrew. It's Crime Come Buster. On. This is this <laughs> is the this is the Marvel Noise issue. This is the one I thought Kevin should have. Basically, spoiler, hey. Kurt Busiek 
it's his first draft of Thunderbolts here. Totally. Using uh, totally. a character from Nova, one of Steve's favorite series, and using a particular character from that series who I collect low-grade first appearance issues from. So it's like the trifecta of uh, of Marvel noise stuff. Yeah, I thought about bothering Kurt Busiek of Blueski about this to see if I'm like, oh, this reads totally like a first draft of Thunderbolts, you know, 13 years ahead of time. I thought but. the same exact thing, man. That's so funny. So Crime Buster as Andrew said, was a side character in the Nova series, Marv Wolfman's Nova series in the 70s, and ultimately went off to space uh, with Nova and fought with Rom and the Galadorians and Nova in the Skrull-Galadorian war and was killed there. When that movie gets announced, Steve... I'll have cornered the market on 4.0 copies, ungraded copies. Is for so, but but this this crime buster though, this crime buster is a convict who served time with Luke back in the day, and he manages to escape the chain gang, and then hidden in the apartment that he ends up renting is an abandoned cache of gear and weaponry. It was Crime Buster's apartment. And then the quote, I... the quote that I love, if I can just read it, is he was a hero no one knew. He died in a war no one heard of. <laughs> and I love Howell and Mushinsky, uh, their take on the crime buster. Oh, yeah. Plus the bright colors and the glasses. They do like a Kirby thing with it. I thought this was a oh. real sharp kind of touch up on that character, which I thought. I'm being honest while I goof on collecting, buying a couple copies of that. It was a little bit more drab, and I feel this punch-up is a better, better attractive version of it, more eye-catching to me anyways. I love that he's drawn with a sinister smile, like you said. I immediately thought of Kirby, too, like a, a Kirby wizard or a Kirby Loki, where it's just disproportionately evil-looking face. And then the way that they do his hair... Um, yeah. which is a wig because he's a blonde guy and, and he covers it over with this uh, uh, kind of reddish brown hair. They make it so flat that time and time again, there's not enough room for a human brain to be in that head. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's no room for a brain. Oh, yeah, just a, a fun. This is the one that I was like, oh my gosh, Kevin has to have. It. We we should have covered this on Thunderbolts for Kevin. So, well, I've been. How long have I been wanting to do these issues, you guys? Come on. <laughs> so this guy, this convict, and finding the old Crime Busters stuff, he um, copies Luke Cage's Hero for Hire bit and becomes the new Crime Buster, which make makes him the first Thunderbolt. I mean, not the real first Thunderbolts. Some were the ones in that Daredevil comic. Well, that's true. The gang that got stripped. Yeah. But, but the Kurt Busiek Thunderbolts. Yeah, this feels like a like a one issue kind of test run of the villain posing as a hero, but he gets found out pretty quickly, as opposed to you know dragging it out and making it go for seventy five issues or whatever. But he becomes Hero for Hire's antagonistic competition. And of course, he's a little rough, right? He puts like a 13-year-old kid in the hospital. Yeah, that kid don't deserve it, right? Can we all agree? Yeah. Like, huh. he was robbing other kids' lunch money. I don't really think we're holding a telethon for the bully right now, Steve. Eventually, the city calls on both of their services to deflate a hostage situation at Madison Square Garden and to find a bomb that's planted there, and they offer a five grand bonus to whoever defuses it first. Power Man and Iron Fist focus on rescuing the people, and they're known to us. It's Kambala Bay, the, the big bodyguard of Princess Azir, who's also there from Power Man and Iron Fist 81 and 82 that we covered on Marvel Noise 293 back in April of 2017. You can remember that back that far, Steve. <laughs> after they're rescued, Crime Buster actually is the one who finds the bomb first, but the there's like not much time left on the detonator and he flees, which ruins his rep and Luke's shirt gets blown up. 
That's going to happen. Yeah, shirts. these guys always finish half naked or whatever, but that's fine. It gives a <laughs> little bit of cheesecake for everybody. I'm fine with it. I mean, it. I and I like already that, starts half naked. That, um, that he escapes, Steve, ready to be reused by yeah. an enterprising creative team who realizes the enormous movie potential of the Crime Buster character. Although I didn't quite understand the grammar of his last statement there. I was like, wait a minute, is that a double negative? Or is he saying he'll never do this again? Or that he will do this again? I, I was confused. He was waiting for the MCU is what he was saying, Steve. <laughs> Issue 106 is written by Alan Rollins, with art by Greg LaRoque and Andy Mashinsky, and a John Byrne cover. Kevin, it's Whirlwind. It's me, and it looks like I'm I'm grinning or smiling. I'm pretty happy on this cover. Despite the lack of a background, I act, I love this burn cover. Yeah. I now, Kevin, have you ranked whirlwinds yet officially? I mean, you mean there's more? You're you're implying there's more than one whirlwind or whirlwind appearances? No, whirl more the different whirlwinds. You know. The whirlwind costumes. I noticed on this one, he he seems to be missing uh, a couple of things. Yeah, yeah. Like that's well, first of all, he's wearing a, a shirt. And that doesn't seem right. <laughs> I don't see on this cover too that he has those those rotating uh, razor blades either. I think the art inside is pretty crisp too. I really like the figure work. I, I really like Greg LaRoque's clean look on the book at this time and. Where he had come f- from was he was the regular artist on the last bunch of issues for Marvel Team Up. And when that title ended, um, I think he went over here, I believe, or was that when they started up uh, Web of Spider Man 2 and he did some art there? But anyway. He's got some nice faces too. At for times. sure. Like expressive and as need be. This issue centers around Iron Fist's naivete. You know, he's it's so weird. I mean, he's an honest guy. He was raised in a mythological mystic city by kung fu monks. He's not quick on the take when there are hidden motives, even if they're cliched things in our culture that we're all used to. You know, it's a bit of that frozen captain america thing he's for sure like like oh i never went to my graduation or all this stuff because i was training to be a kung fu master at this time (laughs) and like we're supposed to believe that there weren't politics at the kung fu school (laughs) you know like (laughs) they do make it seem like it's this yeah we saw some of that they all the fight lee kai the thunderer and all that like there's a whole bunch of nonsense that goes on with the rankings and how to get ahead and everything so i feel like they never had any reunions because apparently there's (laughs) multiple school reunions here and uh, he, he could have put it together a little bit faster. But anyways, it, it makes him uh, quaint. And uh, Kevin, I can't believe you put those handles on your helmet. Next time, learn better. <laughs> I thought they looked cool. But yeah, uh, Mr. David Cannon here is uh, being his old creepy self. Yeah, Iron Fist gets hired to guard a woman at her high school reunion. And he gives her stalker the brush off when he approaches but that stalker goes to his car and gets his gear, and it's whirlwind. <laughs> that, that just cracked me up. You know, people always talk about, like, Spider-Man, oh, a crime's happening, or the hero, they have to go off and put up their costume, and it's like, oh, how much time are they wasting? The criminal's getting away. And I just, like, whirlwind pulls up in his, his car. He has his costume in the back, and he's like, oh, I'm having trouble. I, I, gotta, I gotta go out to the car, and I just imagine him taking off his clothes, Putting on his outfit. Yeah. Well, what's he going to leave that in his closet at home? You never know when a job could present. Maybe he's going to see a bank that's the the guard fell asleep or something. You never know when you need that outfit. Besides, it looks better than his regular outfit. Iron Fist pretty quickly realizes that he's fighting out of his weight class here. Yeah. Um, he's just trying to survive until he pulls the rug out from under Whirlwind and clings onto his helmet, holding on to those handles, as Andrew said, which throws Whirlwind's spinning axis off. 
Well, you have to look out because he's one of the most dangerous of the mutant criminals. So, you know. But how about that helmet? I mean, that helmet took a punch from the Iron Fist. Yeah. I also like that clearly uh, Cannon has a whole bunch of these outfits. Yes, you know, don't don't want well, it's hard it's to like get just rank. one made. You got to get him in bulk, you know. Stashing stuff all over town. <laughs> the woman who hired Iron Fist, though, after... Iron Fist manages to take down Whirlwind, knocks him out with a crash in a chair over his head. Iron Fist. She she ends up helping Whirlwind. That's important for your stalker. Make sure you throw them mixed signals. <laughs> That's really how it works out best. I've so Iron Fist wants to go them. wants to go after this guy, and he gets a lead to his neighborhood, but everyone's leading leading him around on a wild goose chase. Oh, he's over there, he's over here, he's over there. They're all covering for Whirlwind and protecting him, which Iron Fist wasn't expecting. Yeah. Who knew? I I also like that he's surrounded by scams, right? There's like the shell game and there's the used used car lot. I have air quotes going there where it's like a, a parking lot that some dude tries to sell off cars from while the guard's not there on his lunch break. The Fist easily takes out Whirlwind in his apartment because he's not armored up yet. Way to go. But then right, they're crashing right through my window and putting his fist right in my face. Yeah, there's a lot of fun with the little, like Steve said. I love the panel with the car up on blocks with, like, the hood and the doors yeah. stolen. <laughs> like, just like, you know, not a great neighborhood. Well, this, though, as soon as... Iron Fist steps outside with Whirlwind over his, you know, slung over his shoulder like a potato sack. He's surrounded by the people in the neighborhood that are like, um, they're pulling like a, you know, like a a New Yorkers with Spider-Man on the train in the movies bit. And they're like, gonna fight Iron Fist and and just by sheer numbers wear him down um, to help protect Whirlwind. Uh, until Cade shows up. Then they all split. Pew! <laughs> well, I like the guy that shows up to the fight with a baseball bat with, like, nails driven through <laughs> it. Or, like, that. they're they're looking to basically murder this guy. And I'm like, Daddy's little that's, that's, that's loyalty. I tell you, Kevin, you, you've inspired these people. But that's yeah, fun. Yeah, the, the, the chauffeur uh, job, I guess, wasn't working out so well. So, But at least I inspired some people. And a John Byrne cover. Gotta love that. Issue 107 is written by Alan Rollins, with art by Jeff Isherwood, and inks by Andy Mushinsky and Jeff Isherwood. And there's also a Byrne cover here. The issue opens with Power Man and Iron Fist nabbing a gang of drugstore robbers while making a getaway and the cops are so ungrateful that they actually throw cage a quarter to be like here here's your payment man that bothers cage i don't blame him you know but i bet you that would be real i bet you the cops wouldn't be happy with super powered vigilantes they get hired in the classic here's a quarter uh call someone who cares Exactly. They get hired to a company and protect a singer-performer type guy named Zeno Saturn, who's traveling home for his 21st birthday. And Luke can't stand this guy or his music. Is this guy supposed to be someone? I thought maybe like a Ozzy Osbourne type, because there's some reference to him hurting animals, and I know there's the yeah. time when Ozzy thought it was a plastic bat and bit the head off some real bat. But then the name or made me think of, so like, drunk. Ziggy Stardust, you know what I mean? A little bit, that too. too. But, yeah. Anyway. Just some dude. In his family's house, though, Zeno gets attacked by this purple armor-clad assailant with this hammer fist. Yeah, I like the hammer fist. It remind there was there the um, a long time the Spider Man guy <laughs> guy used to have those the the hammer fist too. Yep, should have remembered uh, his name. Yeah, I don't I don't know how it's just a strange decision process. Some of these guys with you know the guy with the two razors on his hands. <laughs> Razor fist. That's the same type of 
What was your thought process here? Juggernaut's fists used to be hammery too. You know, they they de-emphasized that over the years, but he used to have blockier, kind of like hammer-type pieces of metal going across his hands. I think I remember that. He is a juggernaut, though. <laughs> so the second time that Zeno gets attacked in the house, Luke and the Fist find a trap door and a tunnel system and everything, and it's like, what's going on here? Well, it's crazy, but it turns out that the real Zeno was killed during rehearsals years ago, and... The manager and the band says, like, the show's got to go on, so they put in this stagehand as a duplicate, and they made him look like Zeno and everything, but his family could tell the difference, but they couldn't get him to prove it, so they created this Hammer of Justice persona the dad did to scare him into a confession. And purchased a ridiculously expensive robot. <laughs> yeah, that was wasted the entire family fortune to build this robot to attack them. Which I I think I know they wanted to have the like onto a thing of iron and all that, but I thought that sort of undercut the whole. Yeah, that I was mean, weird. We, people goof about it, but you're like, that's a that's like a Doombot level android. Yeah, that was strange. <laughs> the the dad made it seemed like that. That was a weird twist on it. Issue 108 has an Archie Goodwin plot and a Jim Owsley script with Greg LaRocque and Andy Mushinsky art and a really dynamic Ron Wilson, Dave Simmons cover. There's a mysterious stranger who wanders off the street into DW's gem theater and starts torching the place. He's a pyrokinetic and he's got this like psychotic babble where he's talking in pop culture phrases along with some insight into his thoughts. But then we get his thoughts presented more in detail as this running narrative in all the caption boxes. And DW is like, no, not the gem burning again. <laughs> <laughs> so Iron Fist confronts... Another fundraiser. Yeah. Iron Fist confronts this guy and he's got all melted skin too and these goggles that he shoots these like laser capsules out of and calls himself Firebolt and again the fist is totally fighting out of his weight class here but is he though Steve really I mean this uh, catchphrase blasting guy this seemed (laughs) really like someone was in a hurry or something I don't know it was it just, like, I I get the idea of the damaged bad guy who's not really necessarily to blame, but all the goofy, we're going to just list every, you know, ad campaign movie thing, having the character thing seemed weird. Although, Agreed. I did always like the Dr. Pepper thing. And who didn't like... Uh, <laughs> that, was a, that was delivered well. And we've all ridden the Adirondack Trailways bus, right, Steve? So, <laughs> you know, shout outs for that. Luke meets Firebolt's sister, and she's a precog, and he's pyrokinetic, and they had a fundamentalist father who attacked her, and Firebolt incinerated him to save her, which also burned himself and made himself go nuts in recovery. And then what's worse is there's this property owner on the block who's aiding and aiming Firebolt at these particular properties to help get the insurance money. The sister has this vision and it totally comes true where Iron Fist is hanging from a hotel sign, the building's on fire, and then her brother dies. So Luke's trying to prevent the the vision from happening and he's racing up the stairs to the burning building and Iron Fist is facing Firebolt on the roof and Firebolt burns himself out using his power. And Iron Fist is hanging from the sign and everything, but he gets saved by a fireman. But the dangling hotel sign then falls on the property owner guy as he rushed out of the building, killing him. You know why? You know why that had to happen? Because Bob Diamond was busy. That would have been a perfect time for Bob Diamond to show up again and punch a guy. (laughs) Yeah, this one uh, I felt was... A little all over the place. But hey, they can't all be 
A plus gems, you know. But the endings of the all these done in ones, like these, like th- these last pages, last panels, like so much is happening, and then like they're coming to this like punchline or halt is pretty funny. Like the 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 diamond ending and this ending, and it, it's just like wham bam, crazy last panels. These last few issues. One yeah, well, they've had some have the heavy inter, you know, with the the Cold War being carried out through proxies and uh, people betraying and tragic villains that aren't really villains. They're sort of, but they're more just tragic figures who've gone crazy type of thing. Yeah, they're, he's really got it going. Alan Rollins comes back to write issue 109 with art by LaRoque and Danny Bullinati on inks. You always notice Dan- Danny Bullinati inks and a Dave Simmons cover. So it's Batman versus the Reaper. I guess it's uh, year two. In this one, there's a hostage situation at a church where a perp killed a cop and ran inside with a gun and is holding the priest. And Cage knows the priest. And since he's been in trouble before, the kid with the gun lets him up and they try to talk him down. The, The police guy being killed was an accident and everything. And the kid just wanted a TV to see himself on the news because he was interviewed as, like, a homeless guy. Meanwhile, Iron Fist is sparring with Bob Diamond, which I love this page, because it it felt very, like, Inspector Clouseau and Cato to me. Like, (laughs) Bob can't get the upper hand on Iron Fist, even when Iron Fist is distracted by a phone call. (laughs) And Iron Fist is visited by the wife of an ex-SWAT team commando who snapped when his son died in a fire and he donned a costume and he's going to go after that kid in the church because the cop that he killed was his friend. And now he's calling himself the Reaper because there's reaping to do. It's like me with the raking. It never stops, guys. (laughs) This guy gets one issue and the Punisher gets like 400,000 issues. (laughs) What's the difference, (laughs) Well, Iron Fist gets surprised and gassed by the Reaper, and strung up. Not more gas. But his escape makes for a great page of sequential art, I think, where he's swinging around and breaks the glass with his feet and then catches a shard of the broken glass in between his feet and then uses that to cut the ropes. That was fun iron fisting. Yeah, iron fist gets uh, kidnapped more than Robin to go back to <laughs> Kevin's mm-hmm. Batman thing. The Reaper takes out the surrounding snipers and storms the church and starts causing fires and structural damage when he faces Cage. So then Luke has to hold the whole building together. But fortunately, in the shadow of the cross, the priest witnesses the Reaper have a change of heart and he sees his own son in the troubled youth and saves him instead. But then Iron Fist has to save them both. And Luke catches the crumbling church on his back to protect the priest who couldn't make it out in time. So it's second chances all around for everyone, except for the dead cop. Oops. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, Luke just needs to uh, leave the shirts at home. Like, or buy them. (laughs) He goes through more shirts than the Hulk goes through pants at this point. All right. Our last one here from July 1984. Release date, not cover date is issue 110 of Power Man and Iron Fist, written by Tony Isabella, with art by Greg LaRoque and Jerry Acerno and Brad Joyce Inks, with a Jeff Isherwood cover. Yeah, look at all these dudes. I feel like this is kind of a quintessential Power Man and Iron Fist tale. Like, yes. Lots of, like, Z-level villains. And For sure. Cameos and goofy Luke complaining. Like, the man with the bulletproof skin complaining that he's getting poked by needles from the tailor like oh i guess the doctor should have used uh sewing needles if they wanted to poke his skin this one opens with luke and danny getting ready for the hellfire gala (laughs) well their outfits look appropriate i mean they wear formal outfits but they're just their own costumes all goofy (laughs) <laughs> just but like the Hellfire Gala. <laughs> what I like is it's realistic though, because the second they get into battle, the things tear as they, even if they're made of whatever, the way suits fit. Like you can't 
barely if you're wearing a jacket put, putting your arms over your head already so the idea i like that when they start fighting like this stuff's going to get shredded as well it should i also really like how laroque is settling in and particularly like how he's drawing luke cage's face like his hair and his tiara he's like making he's making his hair like longer in the back and kind of fluffing out a little bit more around the tiara and it it just looks really cool it's like a little more jerry curled almost yeah but man he's got iron fist jacket has his uh lapels like way over his head oh, yeah. <laughs> but like um luke cage's face where on the second page where his chin is like coming out of the panel into the gutter space and everything that's a that's a great face yeah no i like that i always just thought it was kind of funny that they're uh how he looks absolutely then we've got like the deal is that like the venture brothers are fresh out of the clink and they're looking for some honest work and this is stiletto and discus formerly stiletto and discus but they're totally like gee shucks um like smallville kids here and hey they found religion steve they found god but if you're looking for honest work probably a bad sign when man mountain marco answers the door (laughs) and the eel is there and nightshade is running the operation nightshade who i will always picture as drawn by frank robbins back in (laughs) captain america issues but she was last seen here in Power Man and Iron Fist 53, way back on Marvel Noise 286 in January of 2017. So the deal is Luke and Danny are going to escort their business manager's daughter to this gala event, making him look good and sticking it to his ex-wife because his daughter loves superheroes. Who doesn't? Uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, that's true. And, and the kingpin uh, and uh, their business manager even calls in a favor and has the wasp as his date but nightshade and company attack and rob the place not expecting power man and iron fist to be there and uh, resist <laughs> which they do they all fight and luke and danny lose their shirts of course but i like it's the daughter that uh that that punches out nightshade in the end yeah don't screw with those hogarths they mean business steve but this whole issue was fun from the naivete of um discus and stiletto to power man and iron fist figuring out what's going on to having to fight in the you know uh big ballroom space and everything good Plus issue. another uh famous cameo team up that shows up in this one because I got to keep the pairs going. We end with Beast and Wonder Man. <laughs> I feel like we had Vision and Scarlet Witch and now Beast and Wonder Man. All the classic Marvel, if you were going to have Marvel people that are teams, that, that's who you'd think of at this time. Yeah, I don't know if Wonder Man should be wearing blue, though. <laughs> Never blue. Well, Kevin with some sartorial criticism of Wonder <laughs> Man. So that's issues. 101 to 110 featuring a bunch i mean they're they're fractured because of all the different creative teams but i think the art was generally good i'm not usually a fan of rich howell but it was fine enough here and the one-offs are fun to get to see you know them on a whole bunch of different cases which kind of sets up that sort of life has been going on and sets up a pretty even status quo coming off of the big um, continuity dump of issue 100. Um, There's no cliffhangers here and uh, things just move forward and, and set the stage a a pretty clean slate for Owsley to come in. And uh, great. We, we had a whole slew of not just returning characters like nightshade and crime buster, but new characters, which was, Really fun for me. I always like when we get all these crazy, wacky, will we ever see their like again? Who knows? Just waiting for some smart person to be like, you know what? Those guys are perfect. I have the perfect story for 
the oh dr doom could fight the Doombringer. like hey that's my name just like power man fought power man to get his name that would be a, a possible story <laughs> what'd you think kevin yeah, they are fine uh, done in ones. It reminds me of like you know those those serial detective police shows that were probably airing on TV exactly around this time. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, it, they are pretty episodic like that. Yeah, I mean some are better than other, but yeah, I showed up, so I mean that, I was, <laughs> that was funny and exciting. Plus your Thunderbolt style, Kevin. Come yeah, on. that was unexpected. And I've been waiting for you to read that whirlwind appearance for like years now. Because <laughs> I cover so memorable whirlwind appearance. All right. That's what we're going to do on here. We're going to be ranking the top 10 whirlwind appearances. Well, I like your take on the outfits too, Kevin. That's key. Because, you know, those tech heroes, they have a reason to change. Like the other guys just change with the fashion. But I always feel like if you got tech, like, oh, maybe you're going to make it more aerodynamic or whatever type of thing. All right. Yeah. Thanks for showing up and doing this with me. Appreciate it as always. Uh, the mighty Marvel Noise calendar says next episode is a recent reads roundtable. So be on the lookout for that towards the end of the month. With uh, that and should we, be a lot of recent reads. We have an extra day to work with too because of the leap year. Oh yeah. Oh. I forgot about leap year, Steve. What sort of wiz- Doctor Strange wizardry is this that you've inflicted on us? Yeah, we might have to have a extra surprise or two uh, for that roundtable. We'll see. But, oh, uh, don't tell me it's those guys from the eighth day are showing up. <laughs> but Steve, I, I'm afraid of change. <laughs> we know. Marvel comics. We know, Andrew. That's why we keep doing this week after week, Andrew. The sun's getting real low. <laughs> I don't want things to change. <laughs> but wait, there's more hashtag unfinished business. Stronger than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. The favor of Atlantis is the prince of the deep. The last couple of years, I've been wanting to read the old 60s, 70s, long-running Submariner series. I mean, I have and have read like a few dozen issues over the decades, but had never read it all, or chronologically for that matter. So last year, in 2023, I decided to jump in, splash, but... I figured if I'm going to do this, I might as well read the earlier solo Submariner stories, too. You know, the serials from Tales to Astonish, when he shared that split book with the Incredible Hulk. And Iron Man and Captain America shared Tales of Suspense, and Doctor Strange and Nick Fury, and before Fury, the Human Torch, over in Strange Tales. So, over four segments last year on episodes 405, 408, 416, and 418, between January and August, I covered Tales to Astonish's Submariner stories from issues 70 to 99, and then I needed a break. I mean, there's only so much of that classic serialized stuff one man can consume en masse. So... I want to get to that ongoing, you know, the one that began in 1968 and beyond, although not during this dive. So without further ado, Tales to Astonish number 100 was from November 1967, and instead of being a split book, we're treated with a full-length epic. And it's a battle between Namor and the Hulk. Written by Stan the Man Lee, Pencils by Marie the She, Severin, and inks by Dandy Dan Adkins. And I really love Severin's faces. I mean, I, I totally associate them with that satirical, not brand Eck and later crazy magazine look, all rubbery and expressive. They're great. So Namor is a king without followers or a kingdom, deciding after watching the Hulk on his underwater telly, that he should go topside, which he always makes a big deal of 
here included, and seek out the Hulk to join forces. I mean, he's a fellow outsider and a loner. You know, you know what could go wrong? Completely missing the boat is our intrepid writer-editor who already teamed the two up way back in Avengers 3 and 4 back in 1963. But anyway, here the puppet master, who's in like this space sweatsuit-like costume that's not at all appropriate for the tropics, has this island base, and he gets all prickly when Namor goes topside. Because he's always failed to maintain control of Namor, both in Fantastic Four 14 and Tales to Astonish 78 to 80, which we covered on Marvel Noise episode 405. So instead, the Puppet Master decides to control the Hulk and pit him after the Submariner, and hilarity ensues. It's cool, though. We get to see the Puppet Master making his Hulk figure from his radioactive clay, but here it takes all kinds of machinery and power and stuff to put his mojo on it. It's, it's wild. And the Hulk, he'd been left buried under a mountain in his cereal, so first he's got to punch his way out and punch his way past Rick Jones, who can't take a punch on his best day as it is. The Hulk reaches Namor's position, and Subby's like, Greetings, Hulk, I have a proposition for you, and the Hulk just levels him in response. <laughs> what follows is... 14 pages of battle on land, in the air, underwater, through helicopters. It's really grand comic booking. You see almost every blow encounter. It's it's a nice mix between poses of them clashing and actual sequences of their blows and parries. It's worth taking the ride in in a Marvel Masterworks reprint or on the Marvel Unlimited digital service, which all four of these books I'm covering are on. Though the battle ends when Namor creates a tidal wave that knocks the Hulk out, washing him up on the beach's puny banner, who Namor doesn't know this side of a seahorse, and the wave also unknowingly swamps the island base of the Puppet Master, and all his stuff. Wah, wah. Issue 101 is the last issue of Tales to Astonish as a split book, becoming the Incredible Hulk's ongoing title with the following issues. The Submariner installment in 101 was written by Archie Goodwin, with art by Gene Colan and Dan Adkins, where Namor's had visions of some guy taunting him about erasing his memories. And Namor seeks to learn if this is a connection to his years of amnesia, and is drawn to Antarctica to investigate. And along the way, he's intercepted by an Air Force jet that he promptly destroys, but ultimately he finds a cave with weird, seemingly alien carvings on the wall, and fights an ice creature guardian, and breaks down an ice wall to a hidden chamber, and finds the dude from his dreams. No, not the dude of his dreams, come on now. But with Tales to Astonish now to become the Incredible Hulk with issue 102, there was still one more Submariner serial that was produced that needed to see print. Ditto with a remaining Iron Man installment from Tales to Suspense, because that book became Captain America's ongoing title with issue 100. So the House of Ideas combined the two into a one-shot, Marvel's first one-shot in fact, titled Iron Man and Submariner Number 1, hitting the stands in January 1968. Written by Roy Thomas, with art by Gene Colan and Frank Giacoa, who is not among Colan's best finishers. Namor here attacks the guy on the ice throne, who's named Destiny, wearing and fighting back with a crown that he calls the Helmet of Power. Namor's got to dodge icicles and snowballs, but eventually gets frozen in place, and Destiny spills some of the beans and drops his origin story. He says he's defeated Namor before, too, which Namor doesn't remember. So Destiny was a carnival mentalist with some actual psychic powers, who met Namor's father and sailed with him to Antarctica, where they found a cave with a cachet of alien tech. Mackenzie, Namor's father, tried to stop Destiny from using the tech for his own selfish and diabolical means, 
but it was his destiny. In a cave-in, he became separated and trapped, lost and feared dead, but he instead cuddled up to the tech and became its master. The submariner breaks free, and he and Destiny trade blows that cause a cave-in, sound familiar, that takes out Subby, but the helmet protects Destiny. And finally, we get Submariner number one in February 1968, written by Roy Thomas, with art by Big John Buscema and Frank Giacoa, whose inks look way better over Buscema. In this issue, with Namor trapped under the frozen rubble, Destiny pontificates, after linking with the Submariner's mind, the secrets of his past and his amnesia. So Namor's father, the sailor Mackenzie, unknowingly caused damage to old Atlantis while blasting a passage through ice in Antarctica to create a sailing path. And the emperor at the time, Lord Thakor, sends Princess Fen up to investigate. She's got this potion so she can breathe on air temporarily. And Mackenzie and Fen fall in love, are married, but Thakor eventually sends a squad to retrieve her, and they kill Mackenzie and, and wipe out his men. But she was pregnant with Namor. So he grows up in Atlantis and f fights Nazis with Cap and all that. And years later, Destiny decimates old Atlantis. Namor finds and fights him, but is given amnesia by the helmet of power and dropped in New York City, where he, you know, becomes a homeless guy in the Bowery there and grows a beard and the torch eventually finds him and he attacks the Fantastic Four with the giant creature and all that. And Lord Thakor and Fen were killed in the fall of Atlantis with all falling rubble and stuff when it all collapsed during Destiny's attack. But back in the present, the Submariner breaks free, but Destiny has eluded him. See what I did there? Namor vows to find him, but he'll get sidetracked from his quest pretty much right away, as soon as next issue, when Namor meets the Inhumans. Alright, for reals, that's it for this episode. Thanks again to Andrew and Kevin for being on with me. Until Christmas is no longer sweet, make mine marvel. Later! Later!